Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. And we'll read the first eight verses in just a moment. Well, you heard uh, Brent mention it a couple of times, and, and if you were here last week, you heard uh, Rhonda bring an incredible word to us ab- about prayer. I mean, just in, I, I felt so inspired by that. And uh, not just prayer, but passionate prayer. That's what really, I think, was the, the kicker for, for me, is that it was like, come on, let's get after this. Let's be passionate about it. Let's go for it. And, uh, but it would be sad if we thought, great job, Rhonda, good preaching, and we were inspired, but then nothing changed in our lives, right? That would be the, the, you know, in James uh, 4.17, it says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So, so if we hear a sermon on passionate prayer and we're stirred by the Holy Spirit to, to step it up and become people of prayer, and then we ignore the Holy Spirit, we're sinning, right? That's what that verse means. And so God help us. And so I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, you can go online, listen to that message, but let's step it up. And, and so I was also thinking, man, I wish you to preach that message on the, um, what would be the the uh, can't think the eighth of uh, September because on the ninth we're going to restart our fall Monday morning prayer which is I know it's six thirty in the morning that's early for a lot of folks but listen that's a great time to come together so we need to step up our individual prayers but we also need to step it up in terms of getting together kind of prayer grouping together because there is value in two or three agreeing about something right so uh, I want to encourage you as fall comes to consider pray about and. Uh, and just become a part of prayer. And if you say you don't like that time, well, you can start another time, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, open the door for you, and that'd be great. You know, we'll do a noontime prayer or whatever, but I think we need to do more stuff together. Anyway, all of that, as I was sitting there listening to Rhonda, I felt inspired by the Holy Spirit that the Lord wanted me today to take it in kind of a continuation of her message, but in a different vein, is uh, just the uh, idea of extravagant worship, going after it in worship, and being uh, a people who understand worship Worship is something that is uh, key to who we are. It's, it's essentially what we were created for, is what the Bible tells us, that we would be worshipers of God. So, so uh, I, I want us to see uh, a more vibrant life as a worshiper of God. What do you say, praise center? All right. <laughs> it's on the sign, so don't be surprised, right? Okay. So um, in our text today, this is a familiar passage, I think, for all of us, uh, about someone who worshiped God extravagantly. And uh, let's just begin in this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, see where the Holy Spirit will take us as we go through. But uh, John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Now, normally we would pass over those last three words and, and not think much much of it. You just think, well, that's just a descriptor of, of uh, where Jesus was. But I think if you go back one chapter and you read the fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days, and then Jesus came, and he showed up, and he told him, open the tomb, and then he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. Now suddenly, when you read where Lazarus lived... That has a brand new meaning, doesn't it? <laughs> right? It's not just describing where he lives, but the fact that he does live. And it's a different thing. So again, uh, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, this is Lazarus' sister, took about a 
pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money be given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, on the surface, that sounds very noble and great. But, it, but we read that there's more behind that. And it says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Amen. I'm gonna, I have one other verse I'd like to look at. And it's, we're going to put it on the screen. It's Mark chapter 14. It's, it's a uh, companion verse to what we just read, but just a short excerpt of it. But, um, but I want to I look at this from Mark as well. It says, she did what she could. Would you read that line with me? Let's go. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, even here in Wenatchee, Washington today, right? What has been done will also be told in memory of her. And so what an incredible opportunity we have as we come to this to, to just see this extravagant worship of someone who loved the Lord so very much. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I, I have nothing unless you uh, breathe upon this message and breathe upon us as recipients of your word today that we might hear better Lord, over and over in the book of Revelation, in fact, seven times you say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, today, it, we know there's no problem with the communication that you have toward us. And God, the problem is always on our end, so we ask for ears to hear. Lord, if there's any hardness of heart or stubbornness in us, I ask that we would just repent of that right now and remove it so that we might hear clearly in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay. So... Um, it was probably more than 25 years ago now. I honestly don't remember exactly. But I remember uh, years ago, Rhonda and I walked into the Bellevue Mall, okay? And, uh, and she was looking for a dress. I know some of you will go, oh, I've never seen Rhonda in a dress. Well, she used to wear dresses uh, more often. It was more of a thing in church back in those days. But um, anyway, but it's cool now. Uh, but she went, we went into this expensive store where sometimes they had clearance racks and things. And we were, we were move, definitely moving toward that stuff <laughs> at that point in our lives, trying to raise three boys on a kind of a limited income. But so we're, we're, we're walking through this very expensive uh, store. I think it was Nordstrom's or one of those guys. And so we go through and Rhonda uh, was looking through a rack and I just happened to walk across and I saw what I thought personally was one of the ugliest dresses I've ever seen in my life. It, it reminded me of an old bedspread I had when I was a kid uh, that had little balls all over it. Like It was like, a, I don't know if it, maybe it was just because it was old. I don't even know. I don't think it was especially made that way. It had all these balls of fuzz all over it, right? You with me? And the, the color of this dress was kind of a uh, brown mustard color. So you lost me there because the color wasn't attractive, in my opinion, plus the fact that it, was, it looked like somebody had taken an old blanket and uh, sewed it together to make a dress out of it. And the, the price tag happened to be flipped over for some reason. I don't know why, if it was intentional or not, probably. And uh, so I walked up out of morbid curiosity, and I flipped the tag over, and I looked at it. It said $2,999.99. I am not joking. 
And I just, I literally laughed out loud right there in the store. <laughs> Not only that anybody would pay that for a dress, and remember, this is 25 years ago, but the fact that they would pay that for such an ugly dress was beyond me. <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine. I was try there were some sparkles in it. I thought, well, maybe there's some gold, actual gold, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, maybe woven into it. Maybe that's what, uh, but I, you know, 3,000 bucks, that might be mild for some people. You know, I, here's, uh, this is completely off topic, but, uh, but somewhat on topic. But here's what I think about speeding tickets. I think it should be based on the value of your, um, of your car. Because there's some people that are so rich, you with me? They're so rich, they get a speeding ticket. Is it, am I getting an amen out there? They get a speeding ticket, it's no big deal. They could pay that. And that doesn't hurt them. But when they stop me and charge me, you know, in my, my 20-year-old Highlander, okay, and, and I get charged the same thing that guy got charged, it's like, that's not fair, okay? So I'm, anyway, that was uh, completely free and not part of my message whatsoever. But <clears throat> huh. No, I never get tickets, of course. <laughs> it's been a long time. All right. So, uh, but, uh, so anyway, the, this... The strange thing to me about the dress is that somebody must have found value in that and f felt that that was value and that three grand was okay with them, I, I guess. I, who knows? But uh, as we see from our text today, this event basically happened six days before Jesus would die on the cross. And he is, again, back in the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. He's been friends with his family for, for some time. And this is uh, one of many visits, no doubt, but at least three that were, are recorded in the Scripture. And so, uh, but, but again, I love it that it says where Lazarus lived, because this is more than a casual observation about the fact of the location, but it is about the fact that Jesus raised him from the dead. I love that. So in any case, there's, they're at this dinner, and uh, it's in Jesus' honor that they've even given this dinner. And then Mary does something very unexpected. What she felt led to do is not, uh, why she felt led to do it is not known. But we can all imagine the, the gratefulness that was in her heart because her brother, again, imagine in that society that women on their own, it was things were more difficult for them. Their need, the, the culture at the time, having a brother at least that was there that could watch over the household and be in charge, that was important to them uh, in their culture. Uh, not so much today, but it was then. And so uh, having Lazarus back from the dead, it meant... A a whole bunch of different things to them. Not only the fact that they loved him, but then their future was far more secure as they went forward. And so all this gratefulness just welling up in her, and uh, though the text doesn't really tell us, we can, we can imagine that she thought, what can I do for Jesus? What, what, is the, what's the, what is my most prized possession? What can I give him? And then it dawns on her, this, this expensive perfume, about a pint of it, not very much, uh, you know, a few, 16 ounces or so, but... Uh, uh, and, and so she, she goes and gets it, no doubt, in a secret place that nobody would have known. But, you, could, you know, in those days, they didn't have savings accounts. They had to hide their money or their valuables in different ways. But she no doubt had it hidden someplace. Here it is, worth a year's wages. Now, uh, we all make different amounts of money, but you can kind of picture in America, I think the median wage is 50000 60000 like that, something like that. So think about that somewhere in your house, you've got $50,000, $60,000 in cash in a safe. You go, you get it out, and you come. And listen, it isn't just that you give it to Jesus, but you basically would burn it. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? You're just burning it because it's not going to be able to be used anymore after this. And so, so this is what's going on. And, it, and here, here she has this bottle of perfume that's worth all this money. 
Now, the cost of that perfume isn't too difficult to imagine. There's a, in fact, the most expensive perfume you can buy today, I looked this up uh, as of this year. There was one that was more expensive, but it was mostly that the bottle was made out of uh, precious metals and diamonds, and so it was over a million dollars. But this was just, this, this picture here is of something called Clive Christian Number no. 1 Imperial Majesty. And it is valued at $12,721 per ounce. And it says that, this is a description, it says, The fragrance of this perfume features an enchanting scent of Tahitian vanilla, along with a hint of Rosa Centifolis, reminiscent of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. How do they know what Aphrodite smells like? I think it's a con job myself. Here's what I think. I would rather Rhonda wore $12,000 around her neck and I could smell that money. That's, yeah, that's where my head goes. Okay, I'm just being real with you right now. The point is that Mary was extravagant in her worship. And unlike what maybe the disciples thought or for sure Judas thought, Jesus was so pleased with that. He was so pleased with that. And, and even now, what... Mary did is, again, as Jesus said, it's being told in memory of her right here, right now. This selfless act of worship, this is, this is something I want you to get, and I think this pertains to all of our worship, but the more selfless and the more out there we can get and the more lavish and extravagant we become in our worship, the more the ripple effect of that worship continues on and on and on past the moment. There's something to that about worship and being extravagant. And so here we have this ripple effect for her just going on and on. So, so what I want to say to you is never underestimate the value of your worship. In a corporate setting like this, when we're worshiping together, but in a private setting as well. There's so, and it, worship is not limited to singing songs. That's an expression of worship. I hope we understand that. But there is so much going on when we worship. So I want to talk uh, real quick here about two things uh, relating to this value of worship. And first of all, I want to talk to you about his value, speaking of Jesus, his value to us. No matter how we worship God, it's going to cost us something. It's supposed to cost something. It, it is. That's, that's really a, a big point of my message today. There's a story in the Old Testament where a plague had come upon Israel and and uh, King David uh, had asked for a census, and that's why the plague had come. The prophet Gad comes to David, and he says, he says to stop the plague, you're going to have to do, you have to choose one of three things. And, uh, but anyway, he, he, he says, but then now you've got to go, and you've got to offer a sacrifice to God. So David goes to the threshing floor of a guy named Aruna, and, uh, and David says, you know, Aruna, uh, to do this right, I really need to buy this threshing floor, this piece of property right here. I need to buy this, and and this is where we're going to have the sacrifice, so sell it to me at full price. And Aruna says, uh, no, 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 it's cool, king. You know, I would just want to give it. I want to give it away. And Jesus, and then that's when David says this profound statement. He says, I will not offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And I think if we're talking about a sacrifice of worship, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. There'll be something to it. And so there's a powerful truth wrapped up in this concept here. It costs us something to really worship God. For, for some, the cost is getting over, listen, and some of you need to hear this, it's getting over your shyness and being able to publicly lift your hands or, or to begin to express out loud things to God in the midst of the congregation and, and not be worried. Listen, sometimes the cost is what do, letting go of the concept of what other people think about me. That, that's huge. That's a big deal. 
For some, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an issue of giving time to God. You know, we're so busy. We got so much. Everybody I talk to, hey, how was your week? Oh, I was really busy, Pastor Sal. Really busy. I'd love to just go a whole week and not hear anybody say that to me, you know. <laughs> but I, in fact, there was this young man I saw last night, and uh, I was talking to him, hadn't seen him in a while, and every time I see him, it's the same thing. And he always explains to me how he's working so many jobs, and he's so busy, and it's like, man, you've got to have more to your life than that, don't you? I mean, but are we taking time for God in all of that busyness? Are we taking time to worship? You know, they, there's a saying that says time is money. And so sometimes by sacrificing time to be at church and to worship God or to worship privately and devotionally rather than just being busy about today's stuff, you aren't making money during that time, right? I'm making money because I'm a preacher, but, no. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Anyway, I am, but it's, I was just joking. Anyway, so, but you understand that mostly when we come to worship, right? It's not our job, but we are doing a sacrifice that we could be using to make money, but instead we're setting aside time for God. So, so that, that, that makes sense, okay? But shame on us for thinking we could worship God without it costing something. And really, what, it, what, is it, what is it all of this worth? What is this life in Christ? What is our relationship with God worth? here's something, and I don't, want to, I don't want you to think that this is a, a message about giving money, but you can't escape the fact that what she's giving to, to the Lord in that moment to worship Him is, is money-related. It's like a savings account. It's a year's worth of wages she's giving. It has value to it. It's incredible value that could have been used for so many other things, but she chose to use it for God. And, and, uh, and, and some people think that your relationship with God is a waste, they do. They think you're offering to God and coming to church. They think that's a waste. Judas couldn't believe that a year's wages was being used and in that way was that that was right. It seemed wasteful to him, but his heart was corrupt. So, so you are doing what you know, God is leading you to do. So some people might say, well, why do, you, why do you waste your time going to church? Why do you waste your time praying? Why do you, you're not wasting time. You are using time valuably. Why do you give 10% of your money? People are really hung up on that. That bothers people a lot, that there, there is this thing called a tithe and giving above and beyond, even offerings as well. They think, what a waste. But, a, but here, I'll tell you the truth. Anybody that's tithed regularly knows that you can do more with the 90% because God's helping you than you would ever do with your other 100%. And that there's, I, would ne- I would never not tithe. I'll tell you right now, my whole life I've tithed, and I love the blessings. I love living in the blessings of God. But there's always people who think that your extravagance is over the top. But our motivation is love, and and it's not that we prove our love by giving, but worship flows out of love. It really does. There was a story of a a pastor who... uh, he told this story, excuse me, of a missionary surgeon that went to the Gaza Strip uh, many years ago, and he was a surgeon, and, uh, and anyway, he, apparently he went to this home of this uh, very, very poor uh, uh, Palestinian woman and found out she needed surgery, so he brought her into the hospital. They, they did the surgery. There was no cost at all, and the, the woman and her husband invited this surgeon to please come to her house, and, and uh, so he went by to see how she was doing, and, and she said, will you please come back in a little while? We would love to feed you a meal, and he noticed while he was there that she had uh, among her possessions, which they were extremely poor, 
she had two chickens which were laying eggs and they were eating the eggs and one angora rabbit which she would take the the fur and try to spin it and uh you know and try to make stuff out of that to just have a little bit of money but you can imagine there's not a lot of money in that and so um but anyway so so he leaves he says well, I'll be back in an hour when he comes back they're they're cooking this meal and he looks in the pot and he realizes that the rabbit and the two chickens have been c- cooked that, that to her, that, that he did for her was so important and so great that she was willing to give up everything she basically had to feed this, this, past, or this uh, surgeon this meal. And so he, he wept unashamedly when that began to happen. He, 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 it's like there was so much gratitude. And I like that. I like that, that he said that this incident would stay with him forever. And I like that. So we ask again, what is our life worth? I don't mean that your, your physical life, which we, God gave us life and breath, that's good, right? But I'm talking about, how about our eternal life? What's that worth to us? And what, what is eternal life worth? What is it? It has been given to us free of charge, but it is valuable, is it not? Okay, okay. And so why do we hold back at all? Why not give it all to Jesus? He's worthy. I want to show you a scripture and make a quick comment, and then I'll get on to my second and last point. Revelation 5.12, you've no doubt heard this verse or uh, read it before maybe, but it says, uh, it, this is talking about a time in the future when the, the people are all gathered around the throne and angels are singing, everybody's singing, and then in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, that's speaking of Jesus, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And you know, I've read that verse uh, I can't even tell you how many times I've preached out of that verse before. I've done all kinds of things. And somehow or another this week, I saw something I never saw before. Do you know what it is? The word wealth. Exactly. I never thought, you know, it's like you just pass right by it. There's so many great descriptions there. Wealth has never stood out to me. But I thought, wealth. He's worthy to receive wealth. And I thought, he doesn't need wealth, does he? Does God need anything? Of course not. He needs nothing. So what is, what is the Bible talking about when it says he's worthy to receive wealth? In other words, that our giving to him, again, I'm not trying to preach on money, but I'm saying that there is a value to our giving, that he is worthy to receive wealth as well as all these other things. And uh, so when we're giving to God, you know, a lot of times we, we will hear somebody receive an offering and they'll say, hey, we're just going to continue in our worship to God. And you may feel like, well, that's just a con job, you know, by the guys up front trying to get us to think that this is still worship when they're actually just trying to pass the hat. Listen, it's worship to God because all wealth is, he deserves all wealth as well. Every bit of, every bit of wealth I've ever, and you've ever earned in our lives, God is worthy of it all. And, and so there's something about pouring that out to him. Okay, second, final point. Let me talk about this other aspect here, which is uh, we talked about our, our, his value to us. Now let's talk about our value to him. See, there's this other side to the story. I mean, the reason Mary and Martha were giving Jesus a dinner in his honor is because it all started with him. He had, he had shown them incredible love to begin with, not only in, in the relationship he had with them, but then, of course, raising their brother from the dead. And, and, but even before that all happened, John writes in John uh, eleven five that Jesus loved Mar- uh, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He already pre-loved them. He, he front-loaded the love before he did all these other things for them. I want to kind of go through a few verses real quick as we kind of talk about this idea of va- his value to us, or our value to him, excuse me. Uh, verse, 1 John four nineteen says, We love him 
Because he first loved us. See, that's what Mary and Martha did. And I don't know where you are, all of you today. I, I think I know most of you, but uh, I don't know how you feel about Jesus. Uh, this room is filled with mostly people who have already concluded that Jesus loves them and died for them. But others might be saying, well, I'm just not sure. I'm not convinced. Well, let me tell you that no matter how you feel about Christ, never changes how much he feels about you or what he feels about you. He loves you. He has always loved you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. And this is how Scripture describes it in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, right? <laughs> he loved us. While we were, we were apart from God and he came along, he says, I was going to love you anyway. All right? And, and what, a, what a lavish gift is that? doing nothing to deserve it, but he loved us and he displayed it in the ultimate display. And then John 15, 3, 13 through 14, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He, he considered you and me his friends even while we were his enemies. You say, well, when was I an enemy of God? I'm glad you asked. Romans 5.10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Are you getting this today? Is that making sense? Talk about value. Talk about value. And, and what I love about this value that God places on you and me is that it, it, it's not predicated by us doing anything for Him. I mean, he, now that we're on this side of it, yes, of course He's valuable to us, but He showed us how valuable we are to him by, by doing all this before we even began to have an interest in him. In fact, as the Bible describes, we were still his enemies. And so he, he, we were unlovable, but he loved us anyway. I love that about the Lord. There's a story I heard years ago, and maybe you've heard it too. I, I think it's probably a legend or just a made-up story, but I, I think it still is uh, poignant. And it's a story about a man named Johnny Lingo. Anybody ever heard of Johnny Lingo before? Okay. And so uh, he lived in the South Pacific, and uh, all the islanders thought very highly of this young man. He was strong, good-looking, very intelligent. And it, when it came time for him to uh, get a, find a wife... Um, there was, uh, the, they had a way of doing it in their culture that was very different, but people shook their heads at him in disbelief because in their culture, a man would pay the father of the woman that they were going to marry with cows, okay? All right? And I think all you gals are far more valuable than cows, but that's the way they did it. And so sometimes they would pay, uh, two, you know, it was, normal price was probably two, two cows, and you might, if for a really uh, good wife, you might pay as many as four cows. But, but that's how that they, they would arrange this, this situation. And so, uh, but, but Johnny chose a woman who was, who was plain, she was skinny. She walked with her shoulders kind of hunched over, her head down all the time. Just She was hesitant and shy. And because of this, she was also a little bit older than some of the other young ladies in the, in the area on the island. And so, but Johnny loved her nonetheless. And what surprised everybody was that when Johnny made his offer for her, he offered six cows, two more than anybody had ever offered before for a bride. Six cows. They thought he was nuts. They thought he'd lost his mind. They thought he was crazy for doing this. Why, why, would, you, why would you do that? And everybody chuckled about it. But, and so, they, and in fact, they thought that the father-in-law had put one over on him, like kind of tricked him in some way or something like that. So Johnny Lingo goes, and he has this, his wife, and, and, uh, and then so eventually a guy comes, and he hears this story. He's, a, he's coming to trade at the island, and he hears that she's this downcast, kind of 
hollow girl, but when he finally meets her, she is radiant, she looks lovely, she's got her head held high, her shoulders are back, and she looks, she looks amazing, and he's going, wait, what happened? And the truth is, is that Johnny began to describe that he, he decided that he was going to value her and show value to her. And as he did, she rose to that occasion. She rose up out of that. And she wasn't shy or plain at all. She was radiant and beautiful. And she discovered she was far worth, this is what helped her so much, she discovered that she was worth more than any of the gals on the island. That does a lot. And I think that, that we need to take that to ourselves. You know that the Savior loves you today. He desperately loves you. You know, do you realize how much value you have to Him? And, and God, listen, He doesn't own a thousand cattle. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And He could have paid all of that for any one of us, but do you know what He did instead? He did something far more profound. He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. His only Son. So that, so that and, he, and ultimately what He did is He gave Himself. He gave Himself. So in light of that, you might just kind of think about yourself and your life and and if there's times where you feel downcast and kind of uh, just beat, just like, well, what? And this is what the psalmist says. He says, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Right? You kind of catch yourself in those moments where you're, you're sad and you're thinking, oh, life is miserable. I'm really going through it. And then you have to kind of grab yourself a little bit and say, what? wait, 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 wait. Why are, you, why are you behaving that way? Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. So lift your head, church. Throw your shoulders back. Stand tall because the God of everything gave everything when he gave himself for you. Praise God. Worship team, come on back up. I want to conclude and go back to that other text that I read and had you repeat. I want to read it one more time. Mark 14, 8 through 9. She did what she could. She did what she could. She poured perfume on his body to prepare for burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done, be told in memory of her. And I would say to you today that the smell of that perfume that she poured out today is still in the air right now, right here in Wenatchee, Washington. It's the smell of extravagant worship. It really is. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Our worship, our witness to God is, is a fragrance in a spiritual way to the world around us, a beautiful fragrance of Christ. So let's take inventory, church, of our lives. Could we even ask ourselves, like, what can I give to the Lord? Remember, you can't, it's not a sacrifice if it costs us nothing. Where, where can I go in my worship? What would God have me to do? You know, maybe only God can answer that question for you. But, but, but for, for some of you here today, maybe, I don't know everyone, maybe you've never even given your life to Him to begin with. And you need to start by inviting Him in and giving Him your life. And, and just as Mary and Martha invited Him into their homes, so in a spiritual way you invite Jesus into your life. So I'd like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask this question. If you're here today and you have not received Christ, you need to ask Him in. And today would be the day you say, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to enter into a relationship with someone that would love me that much. If that's you, would you just be bold enough to raise your hand right now and we'll help lead you in a prayer 
that, that would get you going in that relationship with the Lord. It would be the beginning of that relationship. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand right now and say, yeah, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's all of us uh, right now pray for somebody we know who know, we know needs to know the Lord. Go ahead. Come on. Pray. Pray about it. God, we thank you. God, I lift, I lift up my neighbor to you right now. I ask in Jesus' name that I would have more opportunity to speak into his life and uh, invite him, Lord, again to church as I have in the past. Lord, I pray that you would help me to, to be able to break through, God, whatever is holding him back. But, Lord, above all, would you lead him to you through whatever means, whatever means, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. I asked the worship team to end with a song that we've done for quite some time now, but uh, so it's going to be familiar. That way you may not even have to look at the screen much. Uh, you can just go for it. And I want to encourage you today to break free from old patterns of worship today. Let's step it up. Let's, let's uh, you know, the Bible even talks about it, and sometimes we don't take these things seriously, but it says, let's, it says lift your heads. What? And a lot of times we just, we're not lifting our heads. It says, lift your hands. It says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. There's kneeling. There's bowing. Some, some may feel like God is leading you to even lay on the floor. That's, that, that's very, very scriptural. Uh, whatever it is, but I'm going to invite you to get, like, let it cost you something today. Can I just say it that way? Could it cost us something today to worship the Lord and be lavish and be extravagant in our worship? Just as Rhonda preached last week to be, to be going forward in prayer, could we just take a step up in terms of our worship? We need to, we need to be ready to give everything as we come into worship. Here's what I just want to say as, I, as I'm getting ready to walk down. If it feels comfortable, you're not doing it right. I'm just going to be real with you, all right? You think, oh, you know, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. You're not getting it. <laughs> Go reach into that recess of your heart and your life. Grab that jar of perfume. Bring it out and break that jar open. And come to the Lord today with a new expression of worship, vocally raising our voices more, clapping our hands, whatever it is. I, I leave that between you and the Holy Spirit, but come out of your shell and give everything to God through worship in Jesus' name. Do you agree? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.